I've always been into bombing. Okay, mm-hmm. like when I started, it was bombing that got me. Yeah. Like just just putting my head down and seeing how fast I could go. So I've always just mobbed hills, like before I could stop, before anything. I just went fast. Okay, welcome back everybody to the Venom Skate Podcast. This is episode two, and this will be part one of a two-part episode uh, with Pete Connolly. Uh, about three weeks ago, I was over in England for uh, a horse job, and when I found out I was going, I got in touch with Pete just about as fast as I could to try to see if it was even going to be possible to meet up with him because I had no idea where I was going to be or where he lived, but it turned out I was maybe an hour and a half away. And luckily, I didn't have to take like a 100-pound taxi each way. Uh, Aaron Skippings, big shout-out Aaron Skippings, uh, lived kind of just the other side of where I was staying and wanted to come and check out what we were going to talk about with Pete anyway. So he picked me up and drove me about an hour and a half uh, up to where Pete lives, which I have no idea where it is, he could tell you. And uh, I was very fortunate to be able to get this done because as many of these as possible I want to do in person, Obviously, there are going to be some that are going to end up being phone calls, like I'm probably not going to go to South Africa for Mike Zietzman, uh, probably not going to go to Sweden for you know Frederick Lindstrom or Eric Lundberg or something like that. But this one was just too perfect, and especially Pete's house is super neat. He's a, a carpenter by trade, and I think his wife does something with interior design, so the place is just magnificent. It's like a 14th or 15th century cottage that they've completely redone, but they've left as much of the original stuff as they possibly can. So it's really kind of quirky and, and hilarious that some of the doorways are like less than five feet tall and Pete's like six, four. So it's kind of funny to see him. He's like Gandalf in the Hobbit hole. So, and in the yard, uh, he's got like a one car garage that he's been packing around like in his whole career, like 20 years Every piece of skate equipment he's ever owned, every set of leathers, like not every wheel because, you know, some of them are blown out, but, you know, one set of every wheel he's ever ridden, every truck, every poster. Uh, He has every event tag from every event he's ever been to, and that's hundreds of events. Uh, I don't think he has that many shirts, but but a few, and he's been kind of packing it around in his whole life until they got this house. And he finally got to take this shed and build it out and display everything. And so it was not only just super, super cool for me to sit down and be able to see all this stuff and all these, you know, boards and wheels and trucks and stuff that I knew about when I was getting into this but didn't really know about or had never seen one in person, especially like stuff before my time that he's got a grip of like TVS boards and really early comet boards, like composite comet boards and just like a, just a perfect linear history of downhill technology and culture from probably the year 2002 until the present. So that was like an unreal, not not only was it amazing to get to do this interview in person in England, but to get to do it in his skate shed that's like the king. It's it's not, it's like to call it a skate shed is almost insulting, that it really is almost a curated museum of gear and memorabilia and a life in the sport. So the reason this is split into two parts is because obviously, uh, you know, we didn't get to get together that often. So when we got together, uh, Pete and I talked about skating for 
three, three and a half hours, something like that. And we have a lot to talk about because I really wanted to get to his early history. And that's most what this first episode is about. But his story of his preparation for development for and eventual triumph at top speed leading him to be the fastest man ever is fascinating as well. So that's kind of mostly what the second episode is going to be about. And you'll hear him talk about this in the first part that Pete is not really that interested in the past. He really looks forward. As a result, he hasn't really hung on to a ton of memories from large parts of his career. Luckily, we were kind of able to get the wheels turning and he could tell us about some really important formative years for him and especially for the downhill scene in the UK, which is something that I knew nothing about and I don't think a lot of people really know about, and kind of set the stage for where he went in his career. So this first part of the interview probably only covers from about 2002 up until maybe 2005 or six in Pete's racing career. And after that, uh, he had a, a whole bunch of photos on his computer that he kind of started pulling through because uh, he took a ton of pictures from, from everywhere he went over those years and kind of was able to, to, when he saw a photo, it would jog his memory and he could tell me what was going on in the photo, but he didn't really have the story particularly rehearsed. So at some point here, uh, we'll probably have to get that folder of photos and I'll have the audio to be able to put it together where we can probably do a YouTube uh, video or something where it'll be like a slideshow of Pete's incredible archival photos uh, narrated by Pete. But as far as podcast content goes, it would make for kind of awkward pacing uh, for the listener. So we're, that's kind of as far as we're going to go with that. And Hopefully we'll get some of that period in Europe filled in by other guests later on. If you don't know who Pete Connolly is, uh, you may know him from his most recent accomplishment, which is uh, the world speed record for downhill skateboard, 91 point something miles an hour. I should probably look that up. But he's also probably been one of the most consistently fast racers for the longest period that I think anybody has managed to keep up a race pace. He started racing, as he'll tell you, I think in 2003. And the last time I was at Kazakov in 2017, he was in the semifinals. So this is somebody who has managed to maintain progression at the speed of progression of the sport, which at times was like light speed, and has managed to continue to be relevant and be competitive over an incredibly long length of time. And... Through all this, he's still just the nicest guy, super enthusiastic about skating, loves every part of it, and he's somebody who I've always really looked forward to seeing at events uh, when I was lucky enough to cross paths. So with that, we'll get into it. I've always known that Pete was the man, but I didn't really understand where it came from, so now hopefully we'll all get to appreciate him even more than we already do. So, enjoy. You know, like, like Hickey is um, a massive story. You know, yeah. his life is a story, and he tells his story regularly and relives his story. Quite. So most of what I do and have done just passes. You don't really remember much. Yes and no. Like, there's, there's shit kicking around, and I remember it, but it's not, like, structured in my mind, and I kind of, like, have built my story. So That's I've got, fine. I've got a lot of photos which kind of, like, I can remember where I was, and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, I went to that event. Like, I didn't even remember that. Um, but, yeah. So, so that, that'll do for me. Can you give me at least, like... I can give you, yeah. What, like was your, I what, what was your first skateboard? 
My first skateboard is that one right there. So Sector 9, Cloud 9. Okay, that was your so, first skateboard of your whole life. You didn't have no, like okay. a rinky dink. No, thing no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so I, I did. I had, um, when I was a kid, I had um, like an Argos just pre fab toy skateboard, literally. Um, and then my first proper skateboard was a Royce Pie, um, which it was the purple wash one. Yeah. And like, yeah, that was like my first proper setup. Um, and I just learned a little bit of skating on that, kind of learned to pump and skate around. Like, I never really took skateboarding seriously until I was 19 or so. That's when I actually kind of started skating in earnest. So yeah, as a kid, it was like a, a toy and scoot around with your mates and play in the road and slappy curbs, but it didn't really get going at that time, you know? So, and then you, so 19 is when you got the Cloud 9? Yeah, yeah, I was 19 years old when I got Cloud 9, and that was just in London in like a surf shop. Um, sort of, I just saw it, thought it looked cool. Um, and I was using it for transport, cruising around, pissing around. Um, and then I did a snowboard season in Vancouver, 99. Okay. And so that's a connection I don't know. That's where that comes from. Okay, so. That was that year. But I basically came across the Land Yacht so did Boys you, I in Vancouver. You, you went and got that board of skull skates. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I went to the skull skates store and brought that board back with me. But I also brought back this board. And this board, I met the Land Yachts guys in Vancouver just kind of kicking around um, and kind of started getting the understanding of downhill. So this like, would have been in 99, so the Land Yachts guys would have been just Tom and Mike. Yeah. 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 It's literally <laughs> like they, they were just kicking off, basically. Yeah. Um, and I brought that home with me, and that just changed absolutely everything. And that's kind Was of. Was it set up like that? Yeah, that's, that's literally so the li setup. So, listeners, this is a nine ply. Uh, DH race uh, with Randall R2s and blue cryptos on it. So that's pretty much like state of the art 1999. Yeah. But it just drifts everywhere, you know, like just a little bit of steering and that thing stepping out and drifting and sliding. And so we started um, TVS Unleashed in the Middle East video came out. I've never seen that video. Uh, I've got it. I'll, yeah, I'm going to have to dig, dig it up for you then. Um, and there was there was quite a, a strong sliding scene in England. So like Mark Short, yeah, text all the fail time. hard wheel stuff. Yeah, yeah, all hard wheel okay. stuff. So I had a little group of friends um, who I started up with, and that's that was like who formed Essence Longboarded Clothing. So okay. I don't know. I've never that, heard of that. Okay, so that's that's <laughs> a chapter I'll have to. Yeah. Maybe we should start with that actually. Sure. So I came back 99, 2000 season with that and started like a little bit of downhill skating. So did you have slide gloves at that point? Yeah, I've, um, they're in a cupboard over there. They're like welding gloves with plastic welded onto the them. Home, yeah, homemade. just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Chopping board, blowtorch melted onto. Yeah, classic style. Yeah, exactly. Um, and my friend, John Russell, and another friend called Crafty Dan, Dan Bennett, um, mainly riding fiber flexes and sort of cruiser boards, but we started bombing hills. Um, and that's kind of really where we kind of formed a nucleus and started just bombing hills together. So Thrales End Lane, that, that was our local hill. Uh, it's over in Harpenden. They've just chip-sealed it, actually. Like, uh. literally last week, it got chip-sealed, the fuckers. Um, sort of like 40-mile-an-hour hill. That's, with, like, that's uh, potent for the year yeah, 2000. Yeah, 
and it, it had a, a blind bend that went underneath a railway bridge. I mean, like typical like English chunder and potholes yeah. and everything. And we were riding, well, I didn't know how to stop, I didn't know how to slide, didn't know how to foot brake. I wasn't wearing a helmet or gloves at that point. <laughs> and I got up to about 40 before I like, worked out gloves were pretty handy. Worthwhile, yeah. yeah. Um, but me, John and Dan went to Bude. Uh, Bude Classic was um, the first British race that I knew of. Um, okay, and it's so in Cornwall. 2000? 2002. 2002. Who put that on? Uh, Air Culture. A chap called Toby. Okay. Run a skate shop in Bude called Air Culture. And it, it ran for a couple of years before then. Um, we went there and just watched the first year. And like, I was blown away. Like Darren Rathbone was there. Um, and John Warburton. And like... Uh, Steve Mobbs, they'd all they'd, they'd been out and ridden at Hot Heels International right. and kind of been racing a little bit. Um, so I was kind of like in awe of those guys. Um, and it had a little blind kink at the top of the hill. So you kicked off, kind of went about 40 metres, and then there was a little kink down to the main hill, which again, about 40 mile an hour. But I couldn't get my head around not being able to see the hill in front of you. You know, kicking off into a hill that you couldn't yeah, even see. I was just yeah. like, ooh. Um, so that was, I think it was 2001 we went there. And 2002 was the first year that I raced there. Um, and that was my first ever race. I came seventh in that race. And it was, yeah, it was a pretty good field. It's probably about 50 riders. Wow. So it was, that That's was wild. like, a, yeah, I was just pretty stoked on that. And again, that kind of, built the stoke for racing and so you had to have leathers by that time then if they were letting you into the race yeah yeah that was need the leathers on the back of the door still yeah yeah <laughs> they're still hanging around um so yeah me me john and dan formed a closing clothing company probably about 2001 2002 and it was called essence clothing and it was longboarding clothing but not as in protection or anything, but it was just a longboarding brand. So we were just trying to like affiliate with longboard riders as opposed to regular skaters. Right. Um, in the end, the team was myself, Cliff Coleman, because he came over. Cliff was cool. on the team, and I've caught some shit of that, actually. Uh, Mark Shaw, John Russell, Matt Holroyd. Um, and we were trying to hit up Jesse Tyne, who was on TVS at the time. Um, but yeah, that didn't come together. But we formed a little clothing company. That's still that's a pretty mean team for the era. It was, man. It was. But it made it made a tribe, you know, when you've got that nucleus and a group of friends mm-hmm. that you kind of all hang out together with and sort of get a lot of skating done. So that was like a an era of just being a skate bum and sort of bombing hills. Right. Um, from Darren Rathbone, he went to Gersten which is like a, a hill climb course in England. Right, you guys still race there now. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, it's the longest running downhill event on the planet. It, like, it tops Danger Bay. Don't right. tell, tell Striker, you won't like that. But, well, and if you ask the, the true Canadian purist, the Sully had two years before Danger Bay, but it, okay. wasn't, it was mm, questionably sanctioned. So I'm going to say 18 years for Gersten. What was the first year, Gersten? Because, so... I thought it was 19. Yeah, because... Danger Bay is 18. 
Yeah, yeah no, it's, it is older, yeah. So, Ding Boston, who runs Gersten, raced at the first Hot Hills. And he wrecked himself luge in Hell's Gate, broke his back um, and stopped racing, but decided he wanted to get people into gravity sports after doing that. All right. Um, so he set up Gersten Hill Climb um, and made a load of homemade luges and kind of just started running the hill. So, yeah, that, that's... I'm going to get back to you with a date. Okay. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the 90s. It is the 90s for that. Um, so, yeah, Darren Rathbone... Do you know who Darren Rathbone is? Only very, very vaguely. So fill me in. Who's Darren Rathbone? Okay. Because our so listeners definitely do. Darren Rathbone, um, downhill skater from like early 2000s sort of period, but he worked at Shiners. Okay. So Shiners is the biggest skate distributor in England. So all of the downhill products that came in to England from anywhere came through Shiners. So that was like the source. So there was like, it's based out of Bristol. Yeah. Um, and the Shiner warehouse was like infamous, you know, like, so Shiner had been running since the 70s and they owned all of their own warehouses. And when skateboarding like just popped and kind of folded, they just closed the doors in their warehouses and all of the stock from the 70s just sat on the shelves. Oh my God. And then when skateboarding picked up again, they just opened their doors again and carried on trading. Wow. But in their warehouses, you used to go down there and you'd put like old scruff clothes on and just go rummaging in shelves with torches and come out filthy and just be like, look what I found. Just tons of insane, like new old stock 70s. Yeah, gear. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so, which if you think about it, like how much that would be worth now. Yeah, there's, yeah. Quite a lot came out of there. There was, there was a period like where it kind of got raided. Like, yeah. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, it got cleared out. But and then they just then they just came back. They yeah, so they're still trading. They're still wow. trading. They're still like massive distributors of skate products in England. Hmm. Um, but all of the downhill world went through Shiners. So Darren worked at Shiners, and he was um, a team rider uh, for Comet and Kryptonics and Randalls, um, and one of the first international British racers. He kind of went to Hot Hills and got out and about and kind of started doing touring and racing. And when I started racing, that year I went to Bude, Darren won it. Okay. Um, so he was like the Foss guy. Right, he was, you know? but, and he was like from, from your country too. Like he was like, yeah. he was the kind of you before you. Oh, Bude, Bude was just English people, yeah. Okay. It was, yeah, no international riders really rocked up at Bude. It was okay. small fries. But still but 50 riders. He was like, um, it was Bude racing with Darren that I worked out that you put your back knee behind your front knee you know right. like he was he, he explained been, that to me we all like, had that moment where we're like oh you don't just bend over yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so i used to have like a floating knee sort of tuck and then darren like did a run he, he cocked up a qualifying run and he was like oh damn it my knee popped out and i was like when you mean your knee where? popped out yeah it's like yeah, yeah i locked my knee behind my other knee and i'm like all right and that's like yeah you have your little re eureka moment and yeah so yeah, fast star, Darren. Um, he's he's always been a quick guy, and he still is. And he's he's a bit of a wizard on all skateboards. And yeah, but he's does he still, does he skate at the moment? Ah, uh, usual. Like his knees are just obliterated. He was a vert skater as well, so like yeah, his knees are just shot. Um, he does get on a board, and 
go rolling and sort but of yeah. It's not an aggressive pursuit. No. no. So when Lush Lush Longboards formed, um, they originally formed around about the same time that I formed Essence with John Russell. Lush just started up around about then, around like two thousand one sort of time. And they were a bunch of students running out of a garage, just cutting wood right, into those shapes. Like the boards that that Aaron just bought. Yeah, yeah, really early ones. When Lush evolved, one of the partners left, and Rich, who still runs Lush to this day, teamed up with Darren. Okay. And Darren started doing the designs for Lush boards for things like the Revolution. Yeah. So when Lush kind of began Lush to up its game like and. Board, if we're honest. <laughs> Do you reckon there's a bit of gen- Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that, that was like Darren's racing board, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that is the heritage of, of where it came from. That. <laughs> but, yeah, Darren influenced Lush a lot, and he stayed with them, yeah, probably like seven years or so. Darren was like part of Lush, the company, um, helped with all of their board designs, distribution. He still worked at Shiner's. And eventually he left Shiner and worked just Lush. Um, but they were based out of the Shiner, like, as I said, they owned their own warehouses. Right, so Lush's office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Lush and Shiner are pretty closely tied and have been over the years. And they've always done their distribution until very recently, basically. So, yeah, that's, that's Darren Rathbone, fast doll. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I really try and think more about Essence. So that's, that's the Essence logo. Oh, okay. So that's on half the boards that are up on that wall, which is all just of that era. Right, so while you're writing, of course, you put your own sticker on. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So Essence ran probably for about four years we kept that going. Um, John Russell owned the local skate shop in my town, um, and so he had a Shiner account. And we knew Darren from riding at Bude and doing downhill shit and kind of had that connection. So we were sort of like always updated whenever anything came out. So again, you have to remember at this time, there were Randall trucks and right. there were crypto wheels. That's and it. that was it. So as things started coming out, they would pop up in Shiners and we, we literally just acquired everything because there was so little we kind of got every product as and when it came out and rode the hell out of it. So it was, it was like a real interesting learning phase because, yeah, it went from nothing. Then, like, Holy Trucks came out. They came out of Surrey. Right. And they were, like, a pretty good upgrade on a Randall. Um, so I don't know the Holy Trucks are from here. Yeah, they came. I had no idea. Like, I don't know anything so about Holy Trucks. So Surrey Skates um, was run by a chap called Gavin. Okay. Um, and he was selling completes with Randalls on it. And, like, he thought they were, weren't the best trucks and that, and he just thought, I can do something better than that. So he made his own cast truck to put on his completes and kind of sell on mass and could afford to do a run of them. And then, yeah, holy trucks popped up. And they're just, yeah, they're like 160 hanger, better quality cast. Right. Yeah. Hourglass bushing. They, they had a really high pivot angle, though. Yeah, hourglass bushing as well. So right, I think so they're, they're 55s. Yeah. 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 It was like that was like the one thing you knew. It's like you get on Silverfish and you're like, holy trucks aren't for downhill. So you know about them? You'd come across. Oh them. yeah, yeah. Like, I've known about holy trucks. I don't know if I ever had a set, but that like they were on the on the BST, you know, on Silverfish for a long time. I was like well aware of them as a longboard truck. Definitely saw them on completes in America too. 
in the like mid 2000s. Okay. That's pretty cool. They would have been around like 05, 06, like on random random companies completes. Yeah. I don't know if they would have been on anything like mainstream, but that was well aware of them. That's pretty cool because, yeah, products getting out of England doesn't yeah. happen that much into America. So, yeah. Yeah, we definitely had them. So, yeah, from, from Essence and um, Darren, I got introduced to Gersten. And riding at Gersten, um, like, I've learned almost everything that I kind of learned at Gersten. It's like, it's a really, it's a really cool track. Um, it's only 40 seconds long, but you've got like, it's tight and narrow. It's like about six foot wide. Uh, and then oh, that's you, like a sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you get up to, you can just touch 40 mile an hour coming into the first corner and right where you want to start braking, it accelerates, it gets steeper there. And then it's off camber 90 degree right. So I guess if you mess up your braking point, yeah, you're done. Yeah, it's really, really, really hard to get right. Yeah. Really technical to get right. And then you go down a short, probably like another 30 metres of track into what is a, a bunny hop for the cars coming uphill. And they literally get air off of it. So it's like a crest mm -hmm. into a left-hand carousel that's banked like a 30-degree angle. It's like insanely banked corner. Yeah. And that sets you through a complex which has got a little chicane into a left flick out. But it's all one, basically. You align into that first banked left-hander dictates the whole next little complex. And if you cock up your line into it, you won't make it through the complex. So like being fast there, yeah, it's really, really hard, really good. Huh. And that's where I met um, Tom Evans, Wookie. Um, I think you've met. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't really know who that is though. And Jason Muscat. And they had been to Almatrib uh, in 2003. And do, do you know which when was the first started? 2003. Okay. So that was the Alberg track. Okay. So that was the first ever Almatree track. And they had been there, and I met them at Gersten. They're like, you really need to come and like hit the hills. You know, come to Europe with us. So the next year, 2004, I went out to Almatree with Tom and Muzzo. And that's like, that was my first ever international downhill race. So, Alma Tree 2004. So, when you went there, like, who was really fast at Alma Tree <laughs> 2004? So, like, who did you notice? So, 2004 was Delua's first year racing. So, that's where I met Delua. And the track was pretty gnarly. It was a 60 mile an hour track. Yeah. Uh, you had a long sweeping left carousel, it was the setup before the finishing straight, which was like a 60 mile an hour. Um, again, most people were still on cryptos that were like i think big zigs like flywheels no it's flywheels were yep. kicking around big, big, big zigs hadn't come out but flywheels were about yes. at that time so your flywheel was your grip wheel you know, know. like so so at that, do you know if they would have been five spoke or six spoke flywheels because that's a very very big difference so those are six spoke five spoke would be in the middle of the no, those are just 90 mil. Five-spoke core would be like flywheels that had no lip. What's those? No, yeah, those are five-spoke, yeah. Yeah, five, so those are six-spoke where they have like a lip, and those are five-spoke where they're just like... Yeah. 
So do you know which one that would have been? Yeah, it would have been the Feist. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the, that was your grip wheel. So That's heinous. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And in terms of riding styles then, like the Frenchies all slid. So when, when we say slide, it's not like nowadays speed checking where you kind of slide and you hook up again and grip the corner. You kind of like just do a massive pendy in the general direction of the corner, never hook up and just keep drifting all the way around the corner. And the Germans foot broke and were really precision. Sensible. You know, and like so. <laughs> Nowhere so near flamboyant. Foot breakers and sliders have been getting in each other's way forever. You know, <laughs> it's like just normal. Um, so, so German champion uh, was Bassi Haller. Okay, yep. Um, who's Sebastian Hertler's protege. So. Or, t or teacher. Yeah, other way yeah. around, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Bassi was the uh, 7-Eleven crew out of Stuttgart. So he ran a skate shop in Stuttgart. Okay. And that, they had a really strong race scene because of his skate shop. Right. And that's where Hurtler trained and was with. Yeah. So Bassi Haller was German champion. Um, and the final was Delua and Bassi Haller in a two-man heat. Okay. So... So Albertry number one was a two-man... Or Albertry number two, at least, was a two-man race. Yeah, it Wild. was, yeah. So, in that, the lure crashed in the carousel. In the, okay, at the top heavily. of the straight. Yeah, yeah. So, long sweeping left corner before the straight. They both crashed, actually, but the lure crashed fucking hard, and he cracked his femur. Oh, my God. Yeah? And he had a broken leg, and he got back on his board, and you know what the lure pushes like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So, he, he's pulled his board out of the hay, got up, and he's the lure pushing, and he fucks off. Yeah, and Bassi gets his board, and they go, and they, like, ooh, heads up, go down the straight, charging, 60 mile an hour. Delua wins. Did Delua win? Or did, yeah, no, Delua wins. And then he crosses the finish line, but he can't break, because he's broken his he's fucking leg. he's got a broken leg. goddamn yeah. leg. And, like, this, so this was Brazilian foot breaking. Yeah, yeah, front where foot. You, yeah, exactly, yeah. you used to take your front foot off the board, like... Old knee school. down. Yep. Yeah, knee down, front foot, foot breaking. The goddamn millennials don't know and about he's, no. <laughs> And he goes over the finish line, can't stop, and there's only the shutdown zone was like maybe 100 metres long, and then the hill carried on again and went off. And so he's still like mobbing, you know, he's like doing 50 odd mile per hour still, like carving, scraping his hands on the floor, just doing anything he can to slow down. And he's still just fucking mobbing, and then the hill's about to go over the next crest. So he just has to just eject, you know. He just points it at the grass and just absolutely, like, creams himself again and crashes out. Gets, I can't remember if a helicopter came for him or if he just got ambulanced off the hill. But he went, went to a hospital, got his legs set, and came back to the podium on crutches and was there for the podium with his crutches... And like, this was my first international race. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I don't want this as bad as this guy. I'm not a cut like, this. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I'm a, I, I enjoy skating fast. I'm, I, like, I love this shit. But yeah, like, that's another level. You know, I, I don't want it that just much. Like you weren't quite and ready so, to yeah, Brazilian. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> I had this I've thing had for like the f next few years of racing. You know, if I was online with a Brazilian, it was just like, yeah, you go first. <laughs> like, I'm not coming into a corner crash, side by side let, with you. I'll it's like, you no way. And yeah, so that's, that was the first year I met Delua. I've got some photos of 
No, it wouldn't be that year. I might have some pictures of that year, actually. Okay. I'm um, going to need to, like, any, any photos that you're willing to share, I'll have to make, like, a, like a Google Drive or something. Yeah. I'm really bad at that, so I might have to have Justin do it because he works for me to work computers properly. Uh, but any of that material we can put together, there's going to be a website for this. Yeah. And I want to be able to have people go and look at the photos. Like, for when we talk about this episode and you're pointing to that board, like, I want to be able to have the pictures of this stuff so people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Nobody knows what a, a lush, what's the name of this model? Revolution. No one knows what a rush, lush revolution is, including me. So I should do it. It's a good board. Yeah. I know. It's a common voodoo. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably stiffer, though. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, yeah. so when you went to Alma Tree, so at that point, I didn't know that Delua had been racing that long. I didn't really yeah. see Delua on the scene until like 06, 07 yeah. in my scope. And at that point, like the legend of Delua was like, he would just stomp out into first and then crash in every first corner. Yeah. So it's cool that he won that race with a broken femur. That's epic. Yeah. But I didn't know he, would, he was that OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was our, our first year's racing is the same. So 2004 for our first year. First year on tour. International, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you entered races before that. Yeah, yeah, in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously you've been racing in Brazil a lot. But right, and you had entered, first... you've been to... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I say racing, I, I kind of view, like, um, you know, Almatry, like a mountain road. So a when you're race. in England and you're on, like, a 40-mile-an-hour hill that's, like, half a mile long and you're okay, just, like, drag racing. So or... how would you, how would you t say to someone whose first race was Danger Bay? Because Danger Bay doesn't go over 40 miles an hour. Yeah, no, so Danger Bay is like an English race. Okay, it's, so, it's so it's Danger not, Bay is not a real race. doesn't it's a, count. It's if that was real, your first race, you didn't have your first race it's, yet. It's not, it's not a world-caliber race. Okay. You know, that, that's yeah. grassroots racing. Totally. So it's racing, but grassroots. Yeah, this, this was like international. Like there what were, it should be. Yeah, okay. exactly. And one of the interesting things is that was, that was kind of like the, the beginning of our sport as it is now, you know, because we had, Absolutely. like, you had Hot Heels, which, like, ran for a few years, but they were, like, the first IGSA races where the World Series sort of became, and people started trying to chase points. Ran and on series roads, and, on real yeah. high-profile, high-danger, high-skill tracks. Yeah, yeah. Things, like, there were IGSA races before that, but they were, like, on English hills. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they were, yeah. Grassroots stuff. So, the, so what happened after that? Was it, what did, did you go to any other races in 2004? Did you go ride like big crazy hills anywhere? Um, like? I went to some free rides. Um, so just like Normandy, France, um, the Riders on Bray sort of scene. Um, we've always had pretty strong links with them because it's really easy for us to get to Normandy in France. You right. know, it's just like it's right there. jump on the ferry and you're literally there. So I did a little bit of um, free riding then. And no, that wasn't the first year I hit the mountains. So no, for 2004, that was about it, other than the seed was sown. So, so what was your board in 2004? It was a Bosey Bomber. There you go. Dude, this With is the, the board. Signature on it. This is the board that no one remembers. Yeah. I've been on about this for so long that I'm like, do you know what a what a Bozy 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 mad bomber is? And people are like, no, I've never heard of this company. It's got a full mica layer I never in thought it. I would see one tank. again. There's, there's a Bozy bomber, the bottom yellow, bottom right hand corner yellow. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's the board. And that, that's got the Lewis signature on it from that year yeah, where we'd been hanging out. Yeah, yeah. So How'd you do in that race? 
You know what? I genuinely cannot remember. All right, we'll have to I look think it up I made Barry's website. I <laughs> might, I might have made quality. No, that's that's. Uh, this is a 2005 sticker. So what board was I on in 2004? So that's got Bainbridge, Ohio. Uh, so nice. that was 2005. That it would have been a Bosey bomber because I rode them a lot. That was like the main thing I was riding around then was Bosey bombers. And what company? Where did that company come from? I think they're American, aren't they? I have no idea. I just am aware of the board. Yeah, no, I th I'm pretty wow. sure they're American. Black Kairos. Where you've clocked that? Where are you? Oh, the, the, oh, the, this truck, this well, board. Again, that was, so bushings, you know, there, there weren't bushings. So there was the Randall stock bushing. Right. And then Cairo were like the first aftermarket bushings. Right, and at least they had like seven or eight Duros. They weren't the right size for longboard trucks, though. No, but... But I remember, I was yeah, there. You just kind of ram them in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, Black Kairos. But listeners, Black Kairos were 95A. And uh, Pete has them in the sport on the front and the rear. Yeah. I've always ridden tanks, man. I know. I've it. always ridden tanks. Tanks can still turn, though. A good tank is maneuverable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My tanks these <laughs> days do turn. But, yeah. All right, so 2005 starts. You like? Did you make a tour plan? Like, so, you, were, yeah. you were going? So 2005, um, I actually lost my mum that year, and I'd already been planning to do a Euro tour and saved up a bit. And when I lost my mum, um, she always supported me skating. She's always enjoyed, she's like, yeah, you should go do that shit, you enjoy cool. it. Uh, and I inherited a bit of money off of her, and that's when I bought my camper van, my motorhome. Cool. So I sold well, my that's work. That's gone okay. Yeah. So I sold my work van, took the money that I got from my mum, bought a motorhome, and just fucked off skateboarding. <laughs> that was the plan. Tough. So I was pretty, pretty footloose. Um, yeah, I, do, I was self-employed carpentry, and so didn't like really have, have any commitments or anything going on. You'd have back if you wanted it. And yeah, yeah, so that was it. I just literally jumped in the van and drove out to Europe in 2005 and spent a good couple of months on the road doing a, a decent tour and kind of that's when I really started clocking the downhill miles. So yeah. what events did you hit that summer? Almatry again, for sure, because the sticker's on that board. Yeah, yeah. Um, would that have been the same track in 2005, or would that have been the next generation Almatry track? 2005 was the first Jungholz track. Okay. So I ran at Jungholz for a couple of years, and that track was really cool, really, really cool. Is that and the that was... one that we raced again later in 2013? No, we didn't go back to Jungholz. Okay. Jungholz is the one that's got the swimming pool there. Okay. So I the, ca the campsite's on the hill. Yeah. Um, and there was a swimming pool. And the Brazilians used to just throw random people, anyone walking anywhere near the pool, just went in the pool. And like Team Brazil was like people on their phones, nothing to do with the race, just random Germans. Huh. And just, Any person. Yeah. In, in you go. Random Germans. And that, it's on the. Um, on the border of Austria. Okay. Um, I definitely never went to that. What everybody called the old, like when I, when I went to the first Alma Tree I went to, everybody called it the old Alma Tree track, but it clearly wasn't. It not wasn't the old, one. old one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the finish line was actually in Austria. So ah, yeah, cool. the start line. I've heard about this. Yeah, that's the YouTube video, I think. Scoop versus Kevin at the end. The I don't think Kevin went to Europe until 08. So you went to Soldiers in 2005. Yeah, I made Bainbridge, Ohio in 2005. So what was that race 
Was that IGSA? Was that affiliated? It was IGSA. Okay. Uh, it was being run in two-man heats because huh. uh, it was considered pretty dangerous. It's on the same track that it is on now. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I came fourth. Uh, it was me and Rob McKendry. Wow. Mark um, McKendry is definitely going to be on the podcast. Yeah, I smoked him <laughs> coming down the hill. And no. then after the chicane, he got my draft and oh. just got me... He was prayer tucking as well. He wasn't, he's like. Well, right, Rob used to tuck like that. Yeah, yeah. He probably still does. Because <laughs> I remember there was like a Rob McKendry, it wasn't a poster, it was like maybe a postcard size thing of him like shot from the side, like shot from a moving perspective. So like the world's all blurry. And he's, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. Prayer tucking. I totally forgot about that. Right, so I'm pretty sure it was Altbron. Altbron is the Swiss World Cup from 2005. Wow. Then Chamrous, uh, which was just an epically huge French free ride. They had like probably like a hundred odd riders, but it was gravity, anything, you know, like Oh yeah, dirt surfers and shit. Yeah, skull borders, <laughs> like absolutely all sorts of kookies. Just anything went down the hill. Um but Chamrous was an event where you would clock well over a hundred miles of downhill, you know, like yeah. They run a lot of a lot of uplifts in a day, and the uplifts were just epic. After doing that year Euro Tour, I'd, like as I said, Martin Siegelist, one of my favourite riders, I love watching him ride. I met um, Magoon that year, and Martin rode for Magoon. Yeah. I actually met Mr. Magoon. So there was a Mr. Magoon. I don't know where the name came from. Yeah, yeah, it's his name. That's okay. actually his name, it's Magoon. Swiss guy, I Yeah, imagine. Swiss guy, yeah. Um, and I ordered a Magoon board and Magoon trucks. So what generation of Magoons would those be? One, first, Gen before we ones. numbers them. Whoa. Before they're numbered. And so this is literally first generation Magoons. Were they still drilled a different pattern? Oh, yeah, point? yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So ever since day one, this guy was like, I fucking hate skateboard manufacturers. <laughs> he, he just wanted to make a speedboard, you know? He was like, I'm making a product to do what it is that I want to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else has done. This is about creating something that's stable and... Right. But he was like, his, his mind was like, no other board could work with these trucks. Only mine. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was no, no. A, I'm, like, I'm here for it. It was a downhill system. You like, know? I love like, that he was like, it's about the whole product. Like, if you're trying to put my trucks on something else, it's not the thing. Don't do it. Yeah. So, I mean, you didn't... Same with the board, you know? Like, it was kind of like, yeah, I want a Magoon board. Couldn't put any other trucks on it either. Yeah, and he's like, okay, you want a Magoon board? And I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of like it about this length and like that. And he's like, no, you want a, you Magoon, a Magoon board? board. Yeah, <laughs> like, if you want a Magoon, you I'll give you it. it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, so this this was, for me, like, amazing. You know, it was a, like, serious high-end bit of Swiss precision um, board and trucks. So, again, so trucks are still cast. Yeah, so Magoon, right. so your so first... I, there were before Magoons? There are Jim Z's on that picture of Well Brunson's board. Now that's Bainbridge. interesting. Yeah. Are they cast though? Or are they? No. The Jim Z's and all of that hadn't come out of America, so I wasn't seeing any of that shit right. in Europe. Right. As far as, certainly at the time, as far as I knew, Magoons were the first precision truck. Right. So actually, you actually got a. We go before that even. Roger Hickey made precision trucks in like 1996. He made 40 sets. So what were they called? I don't know what the name was. I think I probably have a picture. They were uh, not reverse kingpin. And they were twin live axle. 
So each axle goes into the hanger and their bearings in the hanger. So the axles don't, they rotate separately. So floating axles, but. But two of them. Twi Bam. Jackson. I know. <laughs> Bam. Twin live axle. It makes sense because, like, a Randall loose truck, like, it makes sense, like, in case one of your bearings seizes, but. And they're straight up tracker geometry. You notice they're on tracker plates. And the pivot, which you can't see here, is a. Like, there's a bolt on the base plate and it's a heim joint. Like, it's a spherical that goes over that. Wow. Yeah, so that's, as far as I know, that's the genesis yeah. for precisions. And he showed me, he does have a set too that he made some reverse kingpin ones. Like much later, but still with twin live axle. Just okay, so stickers. 2007 is when I was racing this board. So Outspeed um, and Rock and Roll, that would have been, that must have been uh, Almatrip, because it's not got a name on it, but there was an Almatrip. So yeah, Almatrip, Outspeed, Rock and Roll, Cold as well, Go Fast Speed Days, which you know about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mary Hill, Festival of Speed. So this is like kind of so beginning of the a, modern era. Like yeah. This is, these are events that I've started to hear of that I know people who are at. Yeah. And like, yeah. like the... So this was the year that I met you. Right, Cold is... Kind of... No, I wouldn't have been on the scene until 08. I was around in 07, but I didn't race until 08. Yeah. I wasn't at the first Festival of Speed. That's the only one I missed. Was that the first Festival of Speed? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And this is something I didn't know until just recently. Uh... When I talked to Tad about Maryhill history, that that was the first year they raced to the bottom of the hill. Every year before that, the finish line was at the gate. No way. Yeah. They did not race Cowsers until 2007. And that was just because that's where they rode, when they rode the road, when they went and hiked runs. They yeah. They had to stop yeah, at the yeah, gate. Yeah. So they'd never even ridden the bottom corner. And wow. they just made that the finish line because that's where everybody knew to ride to. So 07, they were like, wait, we can just open the gate and it's fine. Like, we can ride. I guess in 2006, like, they still had the gate open. They just didn't ride much past it. Yeah. Or actually, they did. I guess there was, like, a slalom course on the bottom part, like, that you could, you could, like, go do your downhill run and then, like, go through the slalom course, too. So I never knew that. Like, you know, for, as far as I knew, I was on doing the IGSA tour and I've just rocked up to America, to Mary Hill. I've seen photos of the hill and that. But, yeah, I, I never knew that. So yeah. that was, like. So you're the first class of riders to ride Cowsers. Holy shit. So that year, I think I came 17th. Okay, so that's so that's your fastest. No, 17th would have been quarterfinals. Yeah. So you're like third or fourth in the quarterfinals or something. Yeah. So it was kind of help. Yeah, help my own. Yeah. yeah. Especially like the leg burner. You but know, that's like, something like that's one of the first years. That's one of the first photos of you I remember seeing. Like concrete wave. Yeah. Mary Hill coverage from that year. That was the year, like, on the back of the magazine was, like, the ABEC 11 ad that was, like, so all these riders on ABEC 11, you know? By that time, I had my first NJK suit, the right, rat suit, which is I now my seeing. rat suit. And so yeah. at that point, would you have had your Reesh painted to look like metal? No, I was still in the Ikaro Longtail at that oh, time. Oh, you're right. That's yeah. the photo I'm thinking of. I think yeah, you're yeah, in, yeah. Still you're in, like the in spaghetti. And that was when the Maryhill, uh, the, like, the road was still super, super black. Yes, it's been put painted. That, like, sealant it, on yeah, it to make it actually painted. So, for those of you who don't know, Mary Hill is different than it is was different than it is now because they put this really black, like sealant coat on it to make it super, super black for car commercials. And it was like if you fell on it, like it would turn your suit black, like your wheels were black. But it made the road look super like crisp yeah. and smooth. So these photos I remember that were so iconic, like of seeing Pete in this red and black suit with the silver long tail. 
Oh, Mary Hill was like. John Huey was there taking photos. So yeah. there was like some really good photography from that year, and right. yeah, some good pictures came out there. I've got, I've got an edit. So, so that was pre GoPro. Oh, so before, by a lot, yeah. yeah. So that year, there was a little digital um, like camcorder that came out, and I duct taped it onto my front leg. And wow, like okay, I filmed loads of like onboard footage that year, like pre GoPro basically. So I had a load of yeah. I've got is a couple it uploaded of it. anywhere? No, it's on my Mac. I can show you it, but dude, yeah. Will you upload it somewhere? Okay, yeah. Please, well, I, I think like, I'll upload it to you. Put it on YouTube. I'll upload. Yeah, okay. Like just put it on YouTube so we can link it. It'll just be there forever. That's how yeah, it works. I've got some. Okay. Okay. Please. I will do. It's so it's yet time. like. John Huey, Billy Bones, um, Woody. Yeah. They're all in that. So, yeah, okay, they're, so they're, 07 they're was like a big deal. So, who was really fast that year? Because I, I was sort of there for that. But, like, so Scoot was around. Lundberg was obviously world Scoot, champion. Scoot, yeah, no, Scoot was hella fast that year. So, that, okay, yeah. So, that year, didn't Scoot win that no, year? No, he was world champion 08. Lundberg was, was 07. But didn't he win Mary that year? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he won yeah. the first two festivals of speed, yeah. So, yeah, Scoot won Mary that year. Um, David Price, right. he knocked me out. That's where I, I fucked up at Cowser's. I set up um, the left coming into Cowser's. I took your, like, classic racing line and went outside, inside, outside. Oh, yeah, nah. And, yeah, <laughs> David taught me that you don't need to do that there. And yeah. you can just rail the first left all the way through. And, yeah, he just... Shut me out, and that was me out. That's where I went out, was to David Price at that hill. And there's photos of that heat, and with him going up the inside on Cowser's and White taking me out. So I've seen that. So that, that year, I met Scoot, but didn't really know him. Then 2008, Scoot came on Eurotour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of the season, I'm at, like, a French free ride, um, I can't even remember what it is, just some obscure French free ride, one of the first stops on tour just to get some miles in before racing. And Scoot's there with a bunch of Frenchies. They don't speak any English. And he's just standing there with a bunch of Frenchies, like hands in his pockets, yeah, head down, see, looking glum. The, I can see the look on his face. Yeah. I've seen it before. And then he's just like, you guys speak English? And then kind of like just hung out with him for that event. And then he ended up jumping in my van, and Scoot did the whole like 2000 Euro tour in my van with me. Wow, so what's this board? This, this is board? your 2008 board. This is, so this year, Lush, I kind of started riding for Lush 2007. Okay, but you still had your But Magoon I was still board. on my Magoon. And Which Rich was probably like. It cost a lot. Yeah, it costs a lot. So you kind of want to get some use out of it. It's not just that, man. Lush boards weren't. They were not what they are now. Yeah, they, they? Was, they were still pretty like basic sort of things and I was racing right. so I kind of said to Rich like yeah I'm all up for supporting Lush and being part of the team but there's nothing that I can race on so we're kind of stuck here so Rich sent me to um, Fibertech factory in Switzerland ah. to see Reinker so Reinker was making these and that's when Lush started to have boards that were a little bit more up to spec yeah uh, and I went out there and just got to design my own board, basically. So this has a aluminium honeycomb core spine down the middle of it, uh, VLAM sort of construction, just uh, carbon Kevlar on the bottom, carbon fibre on the top. 
It's got an ABS bumper all the way around the whole board. Um, vacuum press sort of construction. Right, and that's lightweight. Like, you've basically been riding that shape ever since. Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, you can see where the cutout shape came from from the Magoos. Yeah. But at this time, I was stand up foot braking, so that was actually practical. You know, that's right. actually like my foot locks into that foot gets braking. Gets closer and so, you're a more stable platform. Yeah, yeah, and it's a reference point. Uh, and I just think it looks sexy, man. It's it's directional. Like yeah. for me, speedboards go downhill. They go one way. Exactly. So yeah. I'm not a free rider. I'm a speedboarder. I speedboard. So, okay, so my my board goes forward. So this tour. So there's a team green sticker on this board. That's why I had to ask too. So this tour. Yeah. So Scoot jumped in with you, and then what happened? Ah. Uh, so okay. you went to Newtons that year, though. Yeah. I see the sticker. Yeah, Newtons. That was that was the first year of Newtons. That was. Um, and that, that, that track scared the shit out of me, eh? That was yeah, good. Sure. That was good. Um, so, yeah. Where were we? French Nationals, Donatau, Perigude, Almatree. Okay, so was that the first year of Perigudes? Yep. Yeah, On the old track. That, that it was only there for maybe two years or something, right? Yeah, that was the original Perigudes track. Yeah. Almatree, Mary Hill again. Yep, so that would have been the first one that I was at. Yeah. Okay. So was Go Fast Speed Days, did that start in 08 or was that in 07 as well? No, that was it. So this, oh, yeah, I did the full tour. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me about that a little bit. That was like the first like English World Cup. So that, that made a huge difference to the race scene in England. That like was uh, a rebirth. So we had the original sort of growth from the lush summer sessions. Right. and the Gerst But that was like sliding and sort of kind of got a little bit of a scene together. But that was the first proper international race in England. And it was organized by Norman, and he just had vision. He literally just wanted to raise the profile of the support, trying to get like TV involved, proper professional right. sponsors. Right, he was like an event production guy, like he knew. Exactly, yeah, yeah, he wasn't a skater. Right. You know, all, all skate events had been run by skaters, and so they were just kooky and laid back and sort of uh, right. for us. Whereas when Norman got involved, it got like professional. So they, they held their event in Eastbourne to try and promote the area and bring like media to the area and support it. And um, it, was, it was a fairly simple hill. Uh, it wasn't fast or yeah, anything. Yeah, I've seen it. I've never ridden it, but it was like I've, an all grip track, right? Yeah, fully, yeah. And then the finish of it was like really terrible tarmac. So, like, really terrible tarmac. <laughs> what like, did you as call in, it? Red tarmac of death. Red tarmac of Yeah, so like your visor would pop up. You know, oh, you'd be wow. in your tuck and your visor would be going tuck, 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 yeah. tuck, tuck, like just all over the place. So that was 2007, 2008. They resurfaced it for the event. The whole thing? Yeah. Epic. Yeah, so it's like literally the whole thing got pucker, pucker, blacktop, really nicely done just for a skateboard event. Yeah. And so that was made it pretty legendary. And because it was fairly slow, they built a massive start ramp. And it was... Um, yeah, that, that kind of made it a lot of fun, made it a little bit different. You had to push down the start ramp. Most people stopped pushing at the transition. So you pushed down the start ramp and then put your foot back on and yeah. did the kagunk. And Scoot worked out he could push all the way through that, but kind of kept it under his hat until the finals. Yep. Uh, so the finals was me, Scoot, Swedish dude. Um, Who would it have been, Lindstrom? No, no, it was... Um, Norwegian dude. Oh. It was actually Red Levers. Yeah. Um, 
So Scoot waited. He knew that he could push after the ramp. I've heard this story. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and that was kind of, if you got out in front, there wasn't a lot of passing on that track. Yeah, he, well, he got way out in front from that because he, he pushed all the way through. We put our feet back on and the board. And nobody thought to try to push again. He just committed. You know, when, when you're in your stride of your push, you're all right. And then when you try and it's step kind of off your board, you're already rolling and you try and yeah, step no back way. into it. So, yeah, it was a bit of a risk. So, yeah, Scoot, Scoot kind of put another five pushes in and just gapped everybody and <sighs> shot off and won that one. So that, that was one of the World Cups that he tagged that got him up in the league. Right. So, uh, when did you go to Teutonia? Teutonia. Over the next year? Was, or no, that, year? that was 2008. 2008. Oh, was it just not IGSA then? No, it wasn't. I don't think it was IGSA that year. Let's have a look. Because, like, that looks like a pretty complete tour. I think I've got the rankings for that year. Let me check the rankings. I think I just went to Tonya. As I said, I've always wanted to go fast. Yeah. So I'd kind of got into it. the 60 mile an hours fairly regularly, and I just wanted to do 70. So. So did you do 70 at Tonya? I did. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I've never been, but I like I would kind of trust your opinion on this. Is the pavement that bad? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that they still race it today and it hasn't been resurfaced since Oh, yeah, then, that seems absolutely... Yeah, just... I'm not really fussed about going back there for it. It's like, yeah, the surface was bad. Because, like, people talked about it back then, but, like, I didn't know if they were really... if they were serious or not or if it was not actually as bad as they said it was. But... I, I don't know, because I, I think about the setups that went there. Like, uh, Justin Dubois from Colorado went there that year in 2008. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And he, I know, like, the setup that he brought was a, a Comet Pagan, which was a 34-inch wheelbase drop-through yeah. on bare 852s. And he had, like, one set of wheels that he owned. Like, <laughs> absolutely unreasonable to ride any road of that speed but we, we rode fast on it at home but it wasn't like yeah it wasn't of that league but because he came from Colorado he was like I'm going to be right going fast he could yeah he thought that and then yeah. he like he, like, he came home and he was like so like at home I have like a pretty sick tuck but Tetonia I have no tuck at all <laughs> he went like 60 miles an hour like it so was too gnarly at, at Tetonia dropping into the main speed section you come around the sweeper and then it just drops off yeah right. and it just goes hell I've seen the photos like looking up and it's amazing and I, I, I hit a piece of chunder so bad that it just threw my knee out and that made my head pop up but oh. you're doing 70 mile an hour and it just ripped me out of my tuck clean like it wasn't like an uncurling it was just being right. ripped from my tuck and I ended up extended arms fully back over my head like nearly fell off the back of my board but held it and was just like Whoa! and that's Got one of the himself. scariest moments of downhill of my life oh. <laughs> it's like Tatonia it's not fun and like I imagine you know the only Brazilians we've ever seen are like the affluent Brazilians who like make it out onto the world tour yeah but I can't even imagine there has to be like a whole class of Brazilians yeah who st like steam that hill yeah that's really. all they do Exactly that, and like what I was saying about Delua that first time I raced with him, the passion of the Brazilians. Yeah. And yeah, they've all got it, man. Absolutely. Th it's on a genetic. hill like that, it's yeah. Okay, so so, so let's let's talk aerolids like out of context yeah. here. Uh, so, your first 
Aerolid was this was a reach light speed. Um, Other than first, unless we count long tail, which I don't. <laughs> trying to think of the first one I rode in. Yeah, no, it would have been the light. It was the wave. So I didn't really ride this light speed, and this came afterwards. The wave was my first one, and then it was Doris. Okay, so how what did, how much skating did you do in the light speed? This very little. It didn't really fit my tuck. Okay, yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, I, I tried it. It was really awkward. Didn't fit my tuck. This was the first one I saw. Though, like I saw when I saw the picture in the mag, there was like the concrete wave picture. I don't know who it was, but it was like kind of like a, almost like a blown out like sepia tone photo of yeah, somebody so it tucking. Was, it was yeah. So it was Stefan in the tuck. Okay, you know it's the photo Stephen. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the photo was by York, um, and he's actually riding with like a full digital SLR camera. Right, and, and it looked that good. Tuck it's like back then yeah. that seemed crazy because digital SLRs were like four grand. They weren't like you get a Canon yeah. T2i for 300 yeah. bucks new. Wow, and this is the insides. Yeah. yeah that, that, that's it's an old World War II bomber's helmet. But that's, Ew, this is so gross. <laughs> it's so comfy. Yeah. <laughs> Undeniable, like Doris Day, it's a comfy helmet. But holy shit. Like the wave. And just like, so at this point, like, did just everybody think this was fine? Like, we were like, this isn't the same phone that's in all hell. Yes, that's the photo. That's the photo, yeah. So that's Stefan. That's actually okay. Stefan skating his own helmet. Like, everybody was like, hey, this is fine. This isn't the same phone that's in all helmets, but like, it'll work yes, for our good. helmets. That's just kind of how that worked. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it was the whole um, impact phone that kind of stiffens when you press it, sort of memory phone, you this know? Is? So. No, it's not. No, not 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 like we've got now. Not this is this is just a regular not like D three O camping mattress, a genuine <laughs> camping mattress. Also, like D three O is not designed to decelerate, like fixotropic foam, which is what that is. Like that gets harder when you hit it harder. Doesn't isn't super good for brains. No, no. it's like good for bones. But <laughs> this is just straight. This is not even camping mattress. This is like back of the car mattress. Yeah. There's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, I, dude. Like, I smoked my head in my Doris. Like, I didn't say I mean, you did. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to say that smoking your head in that is okay either. You know, like, <laughs> though apparently but, it is. Well, it, it, it works to a point. Be. Yeah, <laughs> it works. It works to a point. If you if you take a direct brain, then yeah. Okay, so no. you so you were like at Reach pretty much from the beginning. Yes. Yeah, I, I was like. On the first Reach team, so when Sick. when Reach launched, awesome. like this one, this is the one that like was one of my very just... early like coveted yeah. Aerolids. Like was this this particular exactly this yeah. exact one? And the thing, well, I mean this this helmet's so controversial because it was the first like skater designed skater aero helmet that there was. You know, like so Stefan Unless made you count. A dot go fast. Okay. Yeah. I get where you're coming from there. I, I, I think of them as like downhill ski helmets, so I'm Dot go fast? Yeah, so they're... I oh, know, Roger Hickey made the first one. So, yeah. And, and Jarrett, I mean, dot go fast was a downhill guy. Okay, so I didn't actually know that. I yeah. actually thought the dot go fast were downhill ski helmets. So they came from the fast track, that, like that Aaron has and that I have. Mm -hmm. And so... Those were from fa like Fast Track Enterprises or Industries, Industries, Fast Track Industries. Yeah, uh, Enterprises. They're in uh, Calgary. They mostly make like fiberglass pipeline stuff, 
uh, but they made these ski helmets in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And Jarrett's from Calgary, so he knew about this, and he had gotcha. one, and took it to Roger Hickey. Uh, Roger Hickey was coming over here for the Alternative Olympics in 1992, uh, which was like two weeks after the real Olympics, but they had all these like exhibition sports, and there was a downhill race. So they made this special new helmet for it, and they took this fast track and modified it and made it fit his tuck and made a mold, and they made two of them. And I think one of them was a dud, and one of them was this one that uh, is in his office. And at that time, Jarrett, uh, GoFast was working for Roger, like doing fiberglass parts in a race car shop. Gotcha. And so they made this one. You can actually, it's funny, you can see the carbon fiber's like kind of ugly, but that's why they gave it this paint job, I'm sure. But that's the first one. And then a few years later, uh, Jarrett wanted to make a few more of them because downhill was so kind they... of going, and Roger gave him the mold. Did that go production, or was they it made, sort of I think like they made just 14. A... Okay. So I guess that's not production, but if you consider the percentage of downhillers at the time who had one, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, which was pretty much everyone who was anyone, basically. Yeah. So yeah. kind of like this. But, so, so tell me about the controversy. So it was kind of like it was not a helmet company. Like it was just a guy. Exactly that. So Stefan started making aero helmets for skaters, and his goal was to try and make a production aero helmet that was available for everyone. Right, because so, at the time, like any aero helmets that were available were like unobtainium ski helmets or a dot go fast, which was like even more. Yeah. Anybody who had one was hanging on to one. So you had to get like a landing ham or... Yeah. So like dis- despite up. our current review of the, the helmet liner, yeah. um, safety was like a goal of these helmets. Right. So like really, I suppose you could say this first helmet didn't really succeed in the safety side. Um, it, had, it has a flaw as well, which is that it can just come off your head I'm when it's buckled. Me that. Yeah, if you grab like the back of it and just pull it forwards, it will yeah. just come off your head. So Noah Sakamoto was riding in one, and he had a pretty good wreck, I think, and... It might have been out of Alma Tree, but it was on Euro Tour, yeah. and his helmet came clean off mid-crash, uh-huh. uh, and that's when people started getting a bit more spooked. Which is why I've got this mod, which is just oh, it keeps that from happening. Yeah, yeah. I put a well, I've put brick, a piece of EPS in there. <laughs> yeah, and that so, just so jams it to the back of my head. At some point, did they start moving the chin strap? Did that help? No, oh. no, that didn't really fix it. it oh. It's because it comes off from there, so the chin strap doesn't matter at all. Really doesn't matter at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, so this this was the helmet that I was wearing uh, when I did the laser scanning. So the laser scanning was what was resulted in that scientific paper, which is aerodynamics yeah, yeah. and downhill skateboarding. Everybody cites that. Anytime an argument about aero helmets comes yep. up, they all cite that yeah. to say that aero helmets don't work. Yes, and exactly. Like, Guys, so, read the paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in actual fact, this helmet isn't that great on the aero yeah. because of the massive concave shoulder fairings. Mm-hmm. So it is like that. The fact that it came off, uh, the foam liners um, started going out of fashion and people wanted like hard foam ones and that like aerodynamic paper, which kind of gave it a bit of a slaughtering, was when this started becoming a bit less popular and things moved on. But that's, that's how things evolve, you know? They start right. somewhere. Right, and you actually and this, some empirical testing. You know, yeah, you've got a, a computer program at least to like scan to look at your aerodynamic profile and give you some results. Yeah, and that's huge. So it is one of them. So this helmet is a little controversial. It's not particularly aero. It's not particularly safe, and it's. Um, but like, it still gets a seat at the table. 
Yeah, like, exactly. It's, 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 here it's still one of my favorite right fucking reasons. helmets. It's okay. Yeah, it's one of my favorite helmets. And that's, things have to start somewhere, you know? And yeah. from this, like, it evolved into, like, Rosemary's Baby, which is, like, an awesome helmet. Right. And then that kind of started the whole proper production aero helmet thing, which is right. now, you know, like, New Olders, the Vultures, they, they all kind of followed from that. And Absolutely. it was like Brazil trying to make... Reach has always been quite hard to come by. You know, you can't just click on a website and buy one. You know, yeah. you kind of like, he makes a production run. It goes to the people he knows first. You've kind of got to be able to get a hold of Stefan to get one. So even though they're production, they're not like... They're not on a, it's not like on a new a old. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't like click on it, say what colour you want, what colour visor you want, and yeah. like still it'll be with some new orders, they still take like four to six business years to arrive, but <laughs> So yeah, man. This this is one of my favourite aero helmets ever. And like I still like skating in the thing. So huh. it's got acoustics that you can hear. Like you can hear where people are behind. I know, you. this so the important thing about this. Fixed visor. Mm-hmm. I yeah. hear great. I hear everybody behind me. I hear when somebody's wheels go from that side to that side. Exactly. Yeah, as soon you as you track, track the visor loose and it's up here yeah. and clackety-clack-clack, you can't hear anymore. Yeah, the acoustics in this helmet is amazing. So you can literally, like, tactically ride for Absolutely. people behind you. You can, yeah. like, take people out of your draft or close the door on people without ever yeah, looking behind that's you. That's technically against the rules. Free riding. Because they don't see you look, it's very hard to enforce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a loved helmet, man. It's a loved helmet. But yeah, I mean, you can see by the condition of it. Yeah. Like it's had some miles. I, like, this one is deep. Yeah. Th this this was Cop Hill. This was like my my fast hill in England. This was yeah. So and when you were still riding in a car, like there were aerolids around. Like, did you like them from the beginning? Aerolids. Yeah. Yeah. Like there were landing hams, and there were like. Yeah. 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 I've I've always. Again, it's it's what's obtainable. So they are always American. Your head, yeah, my head's big. Is tough. Yeah, long too, from chin to back of skull, and that's not yeah, yeah, aero helmet friendly. So your early like ski helmets, any of flat face stuff yeah, is just not happening. Yeah. Right, and you're right, Landingham, Walt Nestle, like that's all. But it's funny, like if we'd known, like if we'd known at that time how to like get into like Aaron's like deep web, uh, forum. Like diving, like you could have had all kinds of European ski ski stuff, and like those forums are all there. Yeah, I'm always like, so I'm I'm like, Aaron's an awesome researcher. That's exactly yeah, what yeah. he does. You know, he gets into it. For me, I'm about people. Okay. So I don't really spend huge times on the web, deep in forums and chatting and doing stuff. You know, like I meet people on the hill and chat shit with them. And most most stuff I've done and interact with is first person. You right. know. And I've, I've met the person first, and that's how a friendship or relationship has kind of come out of it. So, yeah, not, not too good in your deep web research. All right. <laughs> Natural collection. Yeah. So then when this one retired, you started writing that, the haircut? Rosemary no, it Baby was uh, the King Kong next. Okay, right. So you did, yeah. you did go without an arrow helmet for a little while. Uh, I think there was overlap with this and the King Kong, but okay. yeah, 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 maybe, yes, I would have. And then, then the Rosemary Baby haircut. Yeah. Um, so I liked not having the big shoulder fairings for most racing, you know, being able to, to move your head around and, like, still... I'm a, I'm a pretty strong believer in linking up the back of the head to your tuck. It's well worth yeah. doing. 
And the way that Reach do it is a very large, wide, flat platform. It doesn't taper. Mm -hmm. And I actually, yeah, I really like that. So that, I kind of rock that helmet and I still skate that now. Like that's, that's like my go-to helmet. It's got my camera mount on it. So if I'm filming, yeah. I'll be in that helmet. And that still gets skated. Okay, so let's, we'll, take this, we'll take this tangent where it's going. So I want to talk about top speed. Hmm. Because you probably remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like...